Good morning. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill. Yeah, thank you. So glad you're here today. Today is a special day on the church calendar. And so the global church around the world today is celebrating what is called Ascension Sunday. And this is a day in which we mark the ascension of Jesus back into heaven after his earthly ministry here, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, then the ascension of Jesus. He goes back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from that place, Jesus is reigning today. Can I get an amen on that? That's right. And that changes the way that we see everything. It changes the way we see our lives. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we read the news. It changes the way uh, everything that we're going through on a daily basis. We begin to see it through a different perspective because of the reality that Jesus Christ has conquered and that Jesus Christ is reigning as king over all things. That's where we're going today, all right? That's what today is about in Ascension Sunday as we celebrate that. So we're going to dig into Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 today. Uh, But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Jesus, you are king. We honor you and we worship you. And as king, we surrender ourselves to you. We ask you to reign over our lives. And the events of our lives, the questions that we have, the struggles that we're going through, the pain that we're walking through, the worry, the anxiety, the depression, the sickness, the decisions that we have to make, the relationships that we're in, or stepping into, or coming out of, or feeling the effects of the brokenness of. All of those things are under you, and you reign over all of them. So we pray that you would make that clear to us today, that you would reveal yourself to us today as king, and that you would give us that sense of assurance that we are under your reign that we are under your care, and that you can be trusted. Speak to us today through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to dive into uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11 today. Let's read this together. It begins this way. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So let's stop right there, okay? We need to get a little bit of context on where we're going with that. So this is the beginning of this book, and the author of this book refers to a former book that has been written, okay? So the author of the book of Acts is Luke. And so he's also the author of the Gospel of Luke. So in this statement, he's tying those two accounts together. Okay, the gospel of Luke tells the story of the life and death and life again of Jesus. And then the the book of Acts, Luke is telling us the story of the church and the mission of Jesus that gets unleashed into the world uh, that we get the story of that throughout the throughout the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit is moving 
and is empowering the church and unleashing the church into the world as this transforming agent for the grace and hope and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. So these two books are tied together. The Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are tied together by the same author who is telling the same story and a continuation of that story here in the opening of the book of Acts. Interestingly enough, the thing that overlaps these two books and the hinge point of these two books is what we're talking about today, the ascension of Jesus. So at the close of the Gospel of Luke, he tells about Jesus ascending into heaven. At the beginning of this book of Acts, he tells that again in more detail and in fuller detail. But it's that overlapping point, and it is the hinge point between those two books. Okay, so the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, same author, and so that's what that is talking about there. Uh, we get this weird name. He references Theophilus. Okay, he's addressing this book to someone named Theophilus. That's an amazing name. All right, if, if anybody's looking for like a, something to name your kids, go for that. All right, I'm, I'm pulling for that one. Um, it's a pretty sweet name. Uh, but the meaning of this name is lover of God. Okay, lover of God. That would fit us well as a congregation, all right, that fits our mission, that fits who we are. And so some people believe that this was an individual, like a patron, someone who is like, uh, who is funding Luke's mission to write this, okay? So some people think that it's that, so it's the shout out to this person who made this book possible. It's like, you know, getting the award, I want to thank my mother and, you know, all those other people. And so it's kind of like a thank you at the beginning to the person who's making this book possible. Others think that instead of an individual, it's actually talking to a community of people, people who are known as lovers of God, and that he's writing the book addressed to them to encourage them in telling the story of the church and of Jesus's ascension and his the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out and sending the church out into the world. So we're not sure exactly which that is. Uh, either one, it can fit us and it can speak directly to us today okay so that's the that's the introduction that we get there he says that in his former book he told all about what jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven so we get that overlap between the two books giving instructions through the holy spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering so after the crucifixion of jesus it says he showed himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. So that's what we've been talking about since Easter. We've been talking about these times that Jesus appears to the apostles, appears to his followers, and gives them proof of his resurrection. So that's what Luke is giving reference to there. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So there's a 40-day period between the celebration of Easter the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus conquering death, and this moment of ascension. A 40-day period. It says that during that period, he taught them about the kingdom of God. Now, didn't Jesus already teach them about the kingdom of God during his ministry and his life with them? Absolutely. But as you can imagine, hearing Jesus teach it again, the resurrected Jesus 
shedding new light on everything that he had spoken before. It completely changes the way that they see it, the way that they understood it, and the way that it connected with them. They're beginning to see the truth through a brand new light as the resurrected Jesus is teaching them. We see this take place at the end of the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, we've got this moment where Jesus, after his resurrection, is walking uh, with two other disciples who do not understand yet everything that is happening. And Jesus began, it tells us that Jesus began to explain to them, going all the way back through the Old Testament story, beginning to explain how all of that was building up to and was fulfilled in his crucifixion and his resurrection. So we've talked about that before, the sense that, that the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus together form this lens through which we see everything. It's this lens through which we read all of Scripture. So we read the past through that lens. We also read the present through that lens, and we read the future through that lens. The, res- the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Jesus' forgiveness of our sins, Jesus conquering sin and then conquering death, it changes everything for us. And so we see everything through that lens. So he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, helping them to understand in a way that they did not before. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait. For the gift that my father promised. That's one of the most difficult commands that we get in scripture. But he's telling us to wait. To wait on the Holy Spirit. To not try to move ahead in your own power and in your own strength. To not try to make things happen for yourselves. It doesn't mean to be lazy. It doesn't mean to do anything. uh, To not do anything. But it does mean to wait on the leading of the Holy Spirit. To wait for his direction. To wait for him to make things clear to you. And to wait. To walk in step with the Spirit. And to move in obedience to the Spirit. Wait for the gift that my Father promised. Which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the power of God unleashed on the world. It's what we'll celebrate actually next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. So Ascension Day happens 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Pentecost happens 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. So there's this 10-day period. Actually, Ascension Day was Thursday, but we celebrate it on Sunday as we're all here together. So he's pointing ahead to what is to come. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? At this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So we've got Jesus resurrected, teaching his apostles, helping them to understand now things that they couldn't understand before. And the light of the resurrection and the crucifixion change in the way that they see everything. And yet they're still confused. In many ways, they are still confused. Confused, And they still think that Jesus is this political leader that they've been waiting for. That he's the political leader who's going to show up and make everything right. That he's going to establish his kingdom in the kind of way that we think of kingdoms. 
And they've been waiting for this. They were promised that throughout the Old Testament that God was going to send a Messiah, a, a, an anointed one, a new king who would be like King David, but greater. And so they've been waiting for that. And they're like, is this the moment when you go back to the capital, when you establish your throne there in Jerusalem and the kingdom is restored to Israel? Is this the moment when you're going to overthrow the Roman Empire, who at this period in history was the occupying force over the people of Israel? Are you going to overthrow our oppressors in this moment? Is this... When it's going to happen and Jesus makes clear to them, he says, it's not for you to know the days, the times, the dates that the father has set by his own authority. You guys don't get it yet. You still don't understand, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. So Jesus is telling them, listen, you have been looking for this political leader to ride in and to be your hero who's going to set all things right. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Anybody here confess that they have waited for a political leader to come and set all things right? (laughs) Wherever you are on the political spectrum, we all fall into that. We think our person is the person that's going to make it right. And their person is the one who's making everything wrong. And the reality is that Jesus is the kind of king like we have never seen before. And he is establishing a kingdom that is unlike the governmental structures of the world around us. And it's a kingdom that crosses borders. And it's a kingdom that introduces new customs that makes us feel like strange and outcasts even in our own land, even in our own homes. And Jesus is saying, I am coming to establish a different kind of kingdom. The power that I'm promising to you is not a power of prestige. It's not going to necessarily put you in these seats of influence. It's not a political kind of power. It's a completely different kind of power. If anybody ever comes along and promises you political power, don't believe them. That's not coming from Jesus. He says, I'm not promising you that kind of power. You're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the presence of God himself within you. Within you. It's a completely different kind of power. Now, this promise of power sounded really good to them because they were these outcasts in their own society. They had seen what the governmental powers and their religious powers had done to Jesus. And they thought that if they could be in the places of power, then they would be able to set it right. But he's saying, I'm telling you, it's a different kind of power. It's a power that produces something different in you. It's the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will cultivate in you. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. These are different kinds of customs that this kingdom is introducing. Jesus says that's what I have come to bring and to introduce In this world, it's the kind of kingdom that turns everything that you've ever known on its head. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit 
is poured out on you, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses, empowered to be his witnesses. As we've talked before, that's a really interesting term because the term witness uh, is not... um, it, it was a legal term in this day and time as well as it is in our day and time. A lot of times we think about a witness in terms of Christianity and we think that it's a person who goes to the pit and sets up in the pit on campus and begins to yell at students um, that they need to repent immediately. And some of y'all do, let's be honest, all right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> all of us do, all right? <laughs> but it's not that kind of witness. That's not what he's talking about here. It was a legal term in this day and time as well. We think of it in in that kind of way too in our culture. A witness is a person who takes the stand in a case, in a courtroom. And Jesus is not saying that I'm calling you to be the judge. That seat is already taken and it's not yours. And he's saying I'm not calling you to be the jury. The person to deliberate over whether a person is guilty or innocent. That's not your call. That's not your seat in the courtroom. And he says, I'm not calling you to be the lawyer either. And uh, last last week, uh, Sarah and I and Justin and Janine went to New York City and we got to see uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, the play, the play To Kill a Mockingbird, my favorite book of all time. And to see Atticus Finch live and in person. Oh, it was amazing. All right. It was stirring. I loved it. But he's not calling you to be Atticus Finch in the courtroom and making the case. And being this convincing kind of person in that way. He's calling you to be the witness. And what does a witness do in a court case? A witness simply stands and says, this is what I saw. This is what happened. This was my experience. It's the giving the experience from a personal perspective. And that's what he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to do. And all of us are empowered to do that. You might not think that you can win a debate, but you can say, hey, all I know is this is what happened to me. This is what he did in my life. And that's what he's calling every one of us to. In all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see it spread and spread and spread. This, what we get with these uh, names of these places that are given to us here, this geography, it actually gives us an outline for what's going to happen throughout the, throughout the book of Acts. It begins in Jerusalem, then it spreads to Judea, to, to, to Judea, sorry, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It gives us an outline of what is about to take place in this book. Powerful. After he said this, he was taken up into heaven before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. That you have seen him go into heaven. The ascension of Jesus. So a couple of things that we're going to wrestle through uh, today. We're going to talk about what the ascension means. What the ascension is. Why it matters. Uh, We're going to talk about where Jesus is now. 
And where are we in relation to that? Because of where Jesus is, what does that mean for us? Now, let's be honest and admit that trying to envision this, all right, the ascension of Jesus, uh, it makes us a little bit skeptical, right? To think about the apostles standing around and all of a sudden Jesus is like elevated up, right? And he's just going up into heaven. And it seems like this kind of odd, transcendent kind of spiritual experience that if we heard any of our friends tell us that they had seen something like this, then we would be deeply concerned, right? Let's be honest about that. Let's be, let's, let's be real about that, that there's a sense of skepticism that stirs up in us when we, when we hear about those transcendent kind of spiritual experiences that maybe we haven't experienced ourselves. So when we hear other people talk about it, it raises questions and it ignites this kind of skepticism in us. It's very natural. It's like the person who like sees the Virgin Mary and a piece of toast at breakfast, you know, and then people flock and they're like, this is a miracle and people flock from everywhere. I used to think that was crazy until this happened to me this week. This is at Panera, all right, on Franklin Street. This is my breakfast sandwich. And there's the Jordan Jumpman logo. <laughs> Michael Jordan <laughs> appeared to me. <laughs> that Panera bread. Look at it. That's crazy. That's what a Chapel Hill spiritual experience looks like. <laughs> right there. <laughs> I haven't shown that to anyone yet. You guys are the first ones. All right, I am going to post that later. But... I wanted to show it to you first in case, like, the Vatican comes in and sweeps me away, all right, and wants to put me on the fast track to sainthood after that, okay? Yes, it's coming, all right? Uh, but it's natural for us to have this, like, kind of skepticism about that. And I think that's part of why um, not only are we skeptical of this, but we tend to ignore this part of the Jesus story. We don't hardly ever talk. You don't hear a lot of people preaching on the ascension or talking about the ascension, but it's an important piece of it. It's why we intentionally uh, shared today in the Apostles' Creed. It reminds us that from the earliest days, not only was it part of Scripture, but from the earliest days, the early Christians affirmed this truth that Jesus ascended into heaven. They witnessed it. And they've passed that on to us. And it's an important part of the Jesus story. When you hear people explaining the Jesus story, a lot of times they don't talk about this part. They talk about Jesus dying on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. And that's so crucial and it's so true. And they talk about Jesus being raised from the dead three days later, the resurrection. And it's so crucial and it's so true. But what happened next? What happened next? This matters. This matters because it fills in the rest of the Jesus story for us. Or else we would maybe be imagining that Jesus is like, like, what is he exiled on an island somewhere with Luke Skywalker? Okay, he's like living this hermit life. Where did he go next? They said he ascended into heaven. He didn't just kind of disappear out of nowhere, but he ascended into heaven. And it is important. It's a part of filling in the whole Jesus story, and we need the whole Jesus story. I saw this uh, image recently, and it was uh, of this sign. This is the one of the, of the sign, Wes. Lightsaber night has been canceled. Thanks a lot, Todd. All right? 
I saw that and I'm like, okay, I'm interested now. I'm really intrigued and I have a lot of questions, all right? But I need the rest of the story filled in for me, okay? I need to know what happened here. I need to know the rest of the story. And the ascension is that for us. It fills in this missing piece of the Jesus story. What happened to him? Where did he go? Where did he go? This is why the the ascension matters. Because it reminds us that Jesus is reigning. Jesus is reigning. This question that we're wrestling with today, where is Jesus now? Jesus is reigning. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, as we have said in the creed, as the word testifies to us and as we affirm and we believe he is reigning as king he was victorious on the cross he was victorious in the resurrection and now having conquered sin and death he takes his rightful place on the throne at the right hand of his father as the conquering king and he reigns today where is jesus he's reigning psalm 110 Verse 1 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the entire New Testament. The New Testament writers quote this Old Testament passage more than any other. And it tells us this. It says this. The Lord said, you will sit at my right hand and all of your enemies will be under your feet. Gives us a glimpse of the reality that was coming in Jesus. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way so beautifully in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, starting with verse 15 and going through verse 13. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. Amen. This is the reality of the ascension. That Jesus is reigning and the Father has put all things under his reign. All things are under his reign. This is why it matters. He is the king and he reigns. For the next few minutes, I want us to enter into a time of prayer. Directed around this truth and this image of Jesus as reigning as king. So I want you to get your minds and your hearts opened to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you, to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you. And here's what I believe he is leading us to do today.
I think as we pray over these next few moments, he is leading us to identify places in our lives that we need to put under the reign of the king. For some of you, that means things that are out of your control and it is causing so much anxiety and worry in your hearts and fear in your hearts. And he is telling you today, I need you to let go of that and I need you to give it to me. It is out of your control, but it is not out of my control. And he's speaking that over you today. And he's asking you to identify those things that you have not released to his reign in your life. For some of you, it's not because it's out of your control. It's because you won't let it out of your control. You want to keep a control on it. And your hands are grasping those things so tightly. And you know that he's asking you to release it. And you know that he's asking you to trust him with it. And that scares you to death. But he's saying to you today, I am the king. And not only do I reign in power, but I reign in love. I am holy and high above all things, and yet I am so full of love that I bend towards you. Why does he ascend? Because he descended to become one of us. To show us how deeply he loves us. And for some of you, he's asking you to release those things that you have held such a tight control over in your life because you're afraid of what will happen when you let go. Perfect love drives out fear, he tells us. Perfect love drives out fear. So we're going to have just a few moments of silence. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts. And to bring those things to mind, either things that you think are out of your control and you need to recognize that they are under his or things that you have been trying to control in your life. And you need to let go and give it to him. Let him speak to you. Jesus, we 
proclaim and declare and confess today that you are king. And we surrender ourselves to you so that you can be king over every part of our lives. We belong to you fully. We are yours. The things that feel like they are threatening us, we give them to you and we trust you with them. The relationships that we think are beyond repair, we give them to you and we trust you. The fear, the anxiety, the worry, we give it to you and we trust you. The future, we give it to you and we trust you. The past, which for some of us causes us more anxiety and worry than thinking about the uncertain future. So we give you our past. And we place that under your reign as well. You are the king. And we ask that you will continue to bring these things to our minds. Those things that you made very clear to us. In those moments of openness. We give them to you. and We ask that you continue to press us on those things. We trust you. So your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the, the ascension answers the question of where is Jesus? And the answer to that is Jesus is reigning. But we also have the question of where does that put us? Then where are we? And the ascension tells us that we are sent. Jesus very clearly as he is ascending into heaven gives this commission that you will be my witnesses and I will send you Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. There's a sense of that local kind of presence that he's calling them to be. And for some of them, he is sending them beyond that and to the ends of the earth. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to be sent and to live in that kind of response to the ascension, empowered by the Holy Spirit? that has been poured out on us as believers in Jesus, as his church, those who are under his reign. As we close out today, uh, we want to celebrate and commission someone who has responded to that uh, in a very courageous, courageous way. We're going to call our friend Hope up, and we're going to pray a commission over Hope. Um, she, there's information about what Hope is about to do uh, out in the lobby. Uh, there's a card that's there for you to sign up to support her. And she is going as a missionary with Crew, which is a campus ministry at UNC. Uh, she's going as a, as a missionary with Crew uh, to East Asia. And she needs our support. She needs our prayer. And uh, we want to send her out today in this commissioning moment uh, as a church body. So what I'm going to ask you to do, uh, I'm going to invite a few friends of Hope's. If, uh, if you have a relationship with Hope, you're a friend of Hope, we'll ask you to come up and stand around her here on the stage. Others of you, we're going to ask you to stand and uh, just extend your hand out to Hope as we pray over her and pray the Lord's commission on her life as she goes.
And Hope is going to be in the lobby and also is going to be at the heart today, right? And so you can talk to her in the lobby or after church, you can go to the heart, which is going to be at Moe's, and talk to her more about what she's going to do. And uh, you can sign up to support her. All right, as her church family, uh, let's pray over Hope and commission her today. Jesus, we thank you for our friend who has been such an important part of this church family. We thank you that she chose to commit herself to this place and to these people. And that she's jumped in and served in so many different ways and has been an encouragement to us in so many different ways. We thank you for her passion for you, her love for your word, her desire to root herself in it. And the obvious growth that we can see that is taking place in her life because of that. So we celebrate that. We call out that fruit that we see in her life. And we affirm her in that. And today as her church family, we gather around and we commission her in your name. As the early apostles and followers of you as the early church would gather around people and lay their hands on them and pray over them and then send them out on mission to extend the kingdom into every place where they went. That's what we do today. We pray that the Holy Spirit that so clearly lives in hope and dwells in hope and is transforming her would lead her in every single step. We pray that you would speak loudly in her life. We pray that you would speak encouragement when she needs it. We pray that you would speak presence to her when she feels lonely and isolated from people that are her family. We pray that you would speak reminder of the calling that you gave to her when she begins to doubt what she's doing. We pray that you would amplify the gifts that you have already given her. So that as she serves you, it will be clear to her that this is what she's made to do. We pray that you will put affirmation of that calling around her and speak it to her over and over again. And God, we pray that this brave decision that she's making of putting uh, med school on hold for now, even though she was accepted and putting med school on hold. And stepping out to do this for this period of time. I pray that this would be a moment in her life that is sealed forever. So that from now on when she comes up against moments. And she feels that you are asking her to do something that's going to be costly. That's going to require surrender and courage. That you would remind her of how faithful you were now. How faithful you were in this moment. That she heard your voice. She walked in obedience. And you proved your faithfulness. So we pray that you would set this as a marker in her life. That she'll be able to look back to and follow you with confidence. We pray for your embrace of hope. We thank you for the way that she lives up to her name. And we pray that people will continue to see that in her. Your hope. So clear in her. We pray that people's lives and eternities are transformed by this obedience. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Amen. We're going to now, as a church family, share in our family meal together. And uh, Hope is actually going to serve communion to some of you today. Jesus, on his last night with his disciples, took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said to them, this bread represents my body, which is broken to make you whole. And Jesus took the cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for the salvation of the world and the forgiveness of sin. Anytime you taste it, remember what I have done for you. We're going to invite you to come forward today if you embrace that call from Jesus and to mark that in your life and to share in the meal at the king's table. Tear off a piece of the bread. You dip it into the cup. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you need a gluten-free option, then that will be available for you on this side. So there'll be two stations, one here, one there, and hope will be serving on this side. Come to the table of the king. Amen.